we're in the uh, studies called Parables and Miracles. Uh, we're in Matthew chapter 13, so you can take your Bible, you can turn uh, to Matthew chapter 13. And, um, and I want to begin with this question, um, and this is really more for the kids that are in here, because uh, I trust you guys more than the adults. So <laughs> if I were to ask you uh, for a word, uh, when you think about the kingdom of heaven, when you think about the kingdom of heaven, and uh, for, for some of the kids that are in here, what word would come to your mind if I said, tell me about the kingdom of heaven? What's a word that you would use to describe it? Uh, Emma, you know where this is going already, but go ahead. Peaceful. Okay, peaceful. That's a good one. Yeah? Say it again. Mighty. That's a good one. Who else has got one? Any other kids in here have one? Jesse, I know you got something. You got something to say, man. Kingdom of heaven. What do you got? He's at a loss for word. He's speechless when he comes to the kingdom of heaven, right? So you could say, you know, marvelous, mighty, unstoppable, unshakable, irresistible, powerful, uh, magnificent, glorious, right? Like all these, there's so many words. See, kids, I should have been a kid. I had so many built up, right? But when you think about the kingdom of heaven, it's, it, it is all of those things, and all of those things are incredibly true. But in the passage that we're going to look at today, Jesus describes the kingdom of heaven, and he doesn't describe it in any of those ways. He shows it to us from a different angle so that our understanding of it can be expanded and our expectations can be aligned with the truth of the kingdom. And that's really what we want to do today. So let's pray. Uh, we'll dig into the scripture and, and we'll see what God wants to reveal to us from his word today. Father, we come to you uh, in humility. Uh, we recognize that you are great and awesome and majestic and mighty and the, the prince of e all these things. Um, they are who you are, and uh, we come before you in, in humility, uh, created in your image, uh, loving you, um, and yet separated from you by sin. And so we thank you that through Jesus, you've made a way for us to, uh, to be made right with you. Uh, we celebrate that today, and we come to your word hoping to better understand uh, how to live for your glory. So open up our hearts uh, to see that today. Help us to understand what we read, and help us to uh, grow closer to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so if you turn in your Bible to Matthew uh, chapter 13, we've been going through a bunch of parables, and parables are just simple stories that Jesus uses to illustrate a point about the kingdom or about something else. But these are all, so many of these are parables of the kingdom. And uh, we're going to pick up in verse 31. We're going to look at verses 31 through 35 today. If you have a Bible, you can flip there. Or it's going to be up on the screen here for you. Uh, but this is what Jesus says. Uh, he, being Jesus, uh, put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. And so Jesus says, hey, I want to tell you guys about the kingdom. And they're like, awesome. Yeah, is it, is it a mighty mountain? Is it a rushing river? Is it as vast as the universe? He says, it's like a mustard seed, <laughs> right? Or it's like a baking uh, uh, something, you know, that thing you have to dig in the back of your cabinet for, like, I don't know what this is, but I know I got to put it in or the cake's not going to rise, right? Like, that's what Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like. And so 
So they were listening, like, yeah, 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 I'm right, yeah, man, that's deep. Yeah, I'm with you, Jesus, right? Like, uh, probably nobody wanting to admit that they really weren't sure exactly what he meant by that. And sometimes that's how we feel, too. And, uh, but we want to explore this today. What is Jesus trying to show us about the kingdom of heaven? So that's where we're going today. We want to understand what is it that these, uh, these parables illustrate about the kingdom of heaven? What do we learn about it? And then, secondly, why is it important? So the what and the why is what we're going after here. What is he trying to tell us about the kingdom of heaven, and why does it make a difference? Why does it even matter? And so let's, let's take a look at the illustrations that Jesus uses here. Um, you know, the kingdom of heaven is where Jesus reigns as king and where his will is done, right? We pray in, in the Lord's Prayer, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? And so, so in, in, in many instances, the kingdom of heaven is, is anywhere where Jesus rules and reigns as king. And so that exists in our hearts if we follow Jesus, if we've turned over the kingship uh, to its rightful owner. Uh, sin is really rebellion when we take that crown and we put it on our own head and we say, I'm going to be the king of my own life. I'm going to do what I want to do. Uh, I'm in it for mine. You know what I mean? Like when, when we take control of our own life, we've usurped the power that rightfully belongs to, to the true king. And so when we become a follower of Jesus, really what that's doing is just returning the power that we never really had claim to and didn't even really have. We fooled ourselves into thinking we had power over it, right? Uh, but Jesus, once again, becomes the ruler and the king, and so his kingdom exists in our heart when we're doing his will. He says this is like a mustard seed. Now, um, I've got here a mustard seed. I'm just kidding. I don't have a mustard seed. If I had one, this is just as good the second time. Uh, if I had one, you wouldn't be able to, it, it's tiny, right? It's this tiny little seed, um, uh, and in a typical uh, eight-ounce jar of mustard, so like it's one of those little jars of mustard, it takes about a thousand mustard seeds ground up and mixed in with some other things just to make a tiny little jar of mustard. So it's, it's a really small, tiny seed, and yet it can grow to be as big as 10 to 12 feet tall. It turns into this big bush-like, almost like a tree, and, uh, and it says here that birds can even come and make nests in it, right? So, so it's this thing that starts really tiny and grows really huge. And Jesus is saying that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. It starts really small. You can't even, uh, maybe you can't even see it. Some people can't, can't see it. And, and it has to go into the ground and it has to disappear completely. And there might be a season where you're like, I don't even know if anything's happening. I don't know what's going on. But yet, faithfully in time, it grows into this exponential uh, thing that's, that's so much larger uh, than you could have imagined from its beginnings. And he says, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. He says something similar uh, with the leaven. Now, you guys know leaven. It's like, it's like yeast. Uh, how many of you guys have ever done like the Amish uh, friendship bread uh, trade-off chain letter things? Anybody ever done that in here? A few people are willing to admit it. Elliot, good job, buddy. Proud of you. <laughs> so, uh, so for those of you that aren't familiar with it, you know, you take, you mix these ingredients together and include some yeast in it, and you put it in this bag, and it starts to, like, grow and expand. And then after a few days, um, I'm totally, I've never done it, so I'm, I'm, this is how I hear that it works, right? So then after a few days, you take a portion, you're going to make your bread out of that, and then you take three other portions out of it, and you give it to three people with instructions. Say, hey, put a little bit of this in, um, you know, just some food for the yeast to grow on, and it's going to keep expanding. And so really, there's one source thing, and you keep passing it around like a chain letter, and there's really literally no end to how far it can go. That little bit of yeast that began just expands and continues and continues and continues. And he's saying that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Just a little bit of leaven gets in and expands. He said this three measures would have been enough to feed. It was like equivalent of about 50 pounds. It would have been enough to feed over 100 people, right? And it was just a little bit that was hidden in there. So there's also this idea of the kingdom being something that's, that's hidden on the inside. It's not necessarily externally visible, but it's something that's hidden within 
And that in its nature, it's going to spread and it's going to multiply and it's, um, it's going to uh, reach out into others, right? Now, a little caveat here. I don't do chain letters and I don't do chain breads. So don't bring me friendship bread next week and say, oh, Ezra, I researched it and here you go. Here's your Ziploc bag, okay? Because I will not pass it on to anybody else. I will not put anything in it. I will not repost to 10 of my friends on Facebook. It's just a thing with me. I don't do it. So, so to help us kind of understand what this looks like, I want to look at it through three lenses. And, uh, and let's begin with, um, uh, when we think about uh, the church in America, adults, I'm going to trust you a little bit here. I hope that you don't let me down. Uh, when we think about the church in America and what's going on with Christianity in America, um, just shout out, what are a couple words that you can say in church um, that, that come to mind when we think about Christianity in America? Anybody? Non-existent. Lukewarm, okay. Love? I like love. <laughs> Persecution? What was the one over here? My ears are playing tricking me. What's that? Confused. Sacrifice. These are all good. These are all good. There's, there's this... The sense of conflict in the church in America, right? Like we recognize that uh, Christianity was the culturally dominating force maybe 20, 30, 40 years ago. Um, but today, it's waning in its influence in our culture, and we see it playing out all over the place. And so we could become a little bit despondent or maybe lose some hope or we might be discouraged or we might say, Jesus, I thought you said this thing was just going to expand exponentially. And so, so what we have to do is actually we have to take a step back and look at it on a little bit even broader scale. And so while Christianity is stagnant or declining in America, just as it did in Europe before, when you look worldwide at the global picture, the gospel is expanding in an incredible way um, that's really mind-blowing. Listen to this article. Uh, this was in the Washington Post in 2015. It said, think Christianity is dying? No, Christianity is actually shifting dramatically. And so what it says, it says, while Christianity may be on the decline in the United States, the world is becoming more religious, not less. While rising numbers of nuns, those who claim no religious affiliation when asked, claim the attention of our religious pundits, the world tells a different story. Religious convictions are growing and shifting geographically in several dramatic ways. Um, the center of Christianity has shifted from Europe to the global south. The religious landscape is particularly changing for the world's Christians. A century ago, 80% of the Christians in the world lived in North America and Europe. Today, it's just 40% of the Christians in the world live in North America and Europe. That means 60% live outside. In 1980, more Christians were found in the global south than the north for the first time in a thousand years. Today, the Christian community in Latin America and Africa alone accounts for one billion people. So in Africa and Latin America, there are a billion professing Christians. Uh, for, for scale reference, uh, the population of America is about 320 million people, right? Um, over the past hundred years, Christians grew from less than 10% of Africa's population to nearly 500 million today. So there's more Christians, professing Christians in Africa than there are people in America um, and this is why they're beginning to send missionaries to America <laughs> from some of these other countries. One out of four Christians in the world presently is in Africa, and the Pew Research Center estimates that that will grow to 40% by 2030. So by 2030, 40% of the Christians in the world will be in Africa. 
Asia is also experiencing growth as World Christianity Center has moved not only south but also east. In the last century, Christianity grew at twice the rate of population in that continent. Asia's Christian population of 350 million, also larger than the population of the U.S., is projected to grow to 460 million by 2025. And so, we can become discouraged when we look at what's happening in our own backyard and when we watch the news and when we see. And um, I don't know if you guys ever do this. I listen to uh, NPR sometimes in the mornings, and I'll listen to the whole um, from 8 to 9 is like our uh, American news broadcast. And so listen to it. And then at 9, the world comes on, uh, the BBC World Report. And the top five most important stories that they lead with are always stories that I didn't even hear in our news at all, right? So we can become very, like, inward-focused, and we sometimes we have such an American perspective that we lose perspective on what God is doing. And so as we move forward, part of being a Christian is going to be celebrating what God is doing outside of our nation, around the world, and, and it benefits us to be connected to what Jesus is doing globally, uh, that's one of the benefits of being partnered down in Brazil. Brazil is a place where the gospel is taking off in an explosive way. It's part of the, the growth, and that's, that's really exciting. At the same time, there's opportunities to come in behind with discipleship. I get the, the See Jesus newsletter, the ones that did the praying life, and, um, and Paul Miller, and they said in their just most recent newsletter, they said in Africa, uh, Christianity, some describe it as being a mile wide but an inch deep, that there's a need for great discipleship to go in there, that they, they're excited about the gospel, but they're, they're hungry uh, to grow and to mature in their faith. And so there's a real opportunity uh, for the richest nation in the world and the rich, richest Christians in the world to make investments into discipling um, for the, for the benefit of the world. And so if you're discouraged by the moral and religious path that America's on, uh, I want to encourage you uh, that we should be repenting and praying and seeking God's forgiveness. But don't be deceived into thinking uh, that the kingdom has faltered and that Jesus was wrong about the exponential growth of the kingdom. It's just shifted in a different direction where, where people are hungry for the gospel. Um, but it doesn't mean that we should go outside of this. And so the second lens beyond the world that I want to look at is our local church. We want to look at Riverside and see uh, what's happened here as an example of what Jesus can do and is doing right here in our own community. Uh, Riverside began, some of you were here in uh, October, and Aaron Harvey came and spoke. He was the founding pastor. Riverside, this church, began 15 years ago with uh, a man and his wife in their 20s moving to Willow Grove. They knew nothing. <laughs> well, they didn't know nothing, but they knew no one. They, they thought they knew more than they knew. <laughs> and, um, Aaron would appreciate that if he was here. Uh, but they came. They didn't, they didn't have connections. They didn't, they didn't have a ton of funding. They didn't have a bunch of resources. But they came uh, with a directive from God, and they really felt that they were called to plant a church here. And so they began to make contacts. They started having Bible studies. And for a while, it was like, man, is this thing going to take off? What's going on? The seed was kind of laying dormant in the soil. And then they took this step of faith and said, hey, we're just going to launch a service. We're going to start having church, and we're going to invite people out. And, and we're going to see what God does with it. And at that first service, a um, hundred people came out. I don't remember what the exact number, but and and they kept coming back. And so one of the miracles of Riverside is that um, hundred is like a really important barrier uh, for church plants to break through. And we've never gone below that from the time that we launched, which is just a miracle from God. It wasn't anything incredible that we did, but He blessed it. Uh, but it wasn't just about us, and that's the cool thing over 15 years, what we've learned is that it's not about this church. Like, it's exciting that at 9 o'clock this room was full of people, and now it's full again of people who are coming because one uh, couple decided to move into the area. But he's also allowed us to be part of planting all these other churches. And so there's a church uh, called Trinity Church that's meeting down in Willow Grove this afternoon. There's a church called Ridgeline that's up in Soderton uh, that's meeting this morning. There's a church out in Westchester called The Journey uh, that is meeting, and, and all this is springing out of this small gospel seed of hope that was planted here 
uh, by a single couple. Now, uh, for anybody, is there anybody here that was here for that first preview service in April, I believe, of 2000? It was a snowstorm. And uh, is there anybody in the room here today that was there at that service? Nobody. I was. <laughs> How incredible. And then the first service, I asked that same question. There was one couple uh, that was here. Um, so this week, it's just so happened that there's a grand total of about maybe four or five people in the building that were here on that very first. How amazing is that? Like every one of you are here because uh, some people took some steps of faith and were faithful in giving and supporting and working into the ministry. And then some of you came in at year 14 and a half. Some of you came in at year uh, one. Um, but we're all gathered together as a church as Jesus continues to grow. So that's a picture of exponential growth, right? Um, which is exciting. And that's how, beyond that, uh, then we made a relationship with a, a church planner, and we were able to help him go up to Connecticut. And uh, so now Shoreline Church is, is meeting up in Connecticut, and we have partnerships in Brazil. And so there's churches that are being planted in Brazil. They're preaching in Portuguese uh, today, uh, and we get to be a part of that. And we had Rick Fraley come in. We're, we're part of what he's doing in Nepal and Asia and seeing the gospel spread and churches planted there. So it's exciting to see how the local church becomes the vehicle in which God expands the gospel and allows this exponential growth to happen. And that's why we believe in church planting because uh, a small seed of faith can grow into this exponentially beautiful thing that glorifies Jesus. But let's come down one more level. Let's look individually. What does this look like for the kingdom to be like a mustard seed? Uh, many of you have experienced this as well, right? Like you, you came out to church and you just heard something. There was something that grabbed your attention. You didn't even know what you were saying yes to, but you're like, I want to come back. <laughs> uh, I used to like sleeping in on Sunday. Now, I'm gonna, Jesus, I'm going to give you an hour of my Sunday morning, and I hope you do a good job with it. Here you go, right? And so, and so you started coming, and little by little, as the gospel took root and grew and penetrated, then you find yourself committing more and more of your, your time and your energy and your talents and your resources, and your calendar looks different, and your checkbook looks different, and your, your thought process looks different, and your family looks different because the gospel uh, has expanded in your own life. It's taken, taken more and more territory so that it more defines who you are. Church used to be just something that you did. It was another list of, of things that you did. Now, a follower of Jesus is who you are. You've become a disciple, and that defines you more than anything else in your life. And that's what will make a difference, and that's why we have hope for our country, that, that if we want to see things turn around here in America, um, that it happens one person at a time, one person submitting and giving their life to Jesus at a time and allowing him to flow through them. That's how Jesus is going to change the world. A mustard seed, right? He's not going to appear in the sky. Well, he might. He can do whatever he wants, right? But he's not going to appear in the sky and write, repent now, right? And then see, you know, millions and millions flock to him. No, he's going to do it a person at a time, sharing the gospel and love, doing life together, doing discipleship. That's how he's going to change the world. And that's why we have hope as Christians, regardless of what we see around us. Now, if you don't see this happening in your life, I want to encourage you two different ways. Number one, uh, if you're not experiencing this, you're saying, man, I, I, don't, I don't know if I see that happening in my life. Uh, remember that it said uh, that it's hidden, that the seed goes into the ground and it has to germinate and it has to, has to grow. And so maybe you're in a season of growth. Maybe the gospel needs to take root in your heart before you begin to see more and more outward things. It has to start inside before it can flow outward. And so maybe that's where you're at. If you've been praying and praying for a family member or a loved one or a friend and you're like, man, I, I've, been, I've been desiring this for so long and I don't see any difference, don't lose heart. Don't give up. Trust in what Jesus is showing us here. 
um, seek to plant the good gospel into their heart, but also take it in the context of the other parables that he's, he's, he's shared with us, right? That even the good seed, it depends on the soil of the heart. And so we've got to pray for the soil of the heart. You might not be doing anything wrong in how you're sharing. It just might be that that person's heart has not been softened. It hasn't been tilled up by the Holy Spirit at this point. Um, but don't be discouraged. But the other thing that I want to challenge you with is if you look at it and you say, man, I've been coming to church for 20 years and I don't see that sort of, I don't see gospel growth happening in my life. I want to, I want to challenge you, is the seed that was planted in your heart the actual seed of the gospel? Or was it something that looked like the seed of the gospel, but was it not? Was it a, was it a close imitator? Uh, was it actually sort of uh, moralism, right? To say, uh, man, if I, if I just be a good person, if I stop doing bad things and I start doing good things and do more and more of it, then I know that God will love and accept me. Because that seed doesn't grow exponentially. <laughs> that seed just sucks the life out of you. <laughs> and so it might look like it, and it might have, uh, you might talk about Jesus, you might read your Bible, but if, but if you're trying to do good things to earn God's love, You've got it all backwards. That the gospel seed says, God loved me. In Ephesians it says, we were dead in our sins. And when I was dead in my sins and I was an enemy of Christ, he came and loved me. And then because of that, now I do good works in keeping with the kingdom because it flows out of that. If you get it in the reverse order, it's not going to be exponential. It's not going to be life-giving. It's not going to be freeing. On the other end of it, if you, if you have a cheap grace mentality and you say, eh, you know, it doesn't really matter what I do. Jesus paid the price, and so, so I'm good. I got my ticket to heaven. I said a prayer. I lifted up my hand. I, you know, I did my thing. Um, then maybe you haven't received the gospel either. Maybe uh, you're holding on to uh, this cheap idea of grace, but, but what the gospel says is that Jesus died for our sins. And when you come to really realize and appreciate that, uh, you come to hate your sin. It doesn't mean you're perfected. There's nobody in this room that's, that's kicked sin to the curb completely, right? It's, it's not possible in this life. But we should see progressive growth because as we become followers of Jesus, what happens is we start to side with God against our sin rather than siding with our sin against God. When we mess up, we don't go to God and say, God, you got to understand I had to do that because of this and this and, and here's why. And we don't rationalize it. We, we just say, Lord, forgive me. I, I hate that sin as much as you hate that sin. And I don't know why I didn't. I ask you to, to right? We start begging for God. And, and little by little, he, he's able to change and meld and transform our heart. And so I would challenge you that it is the real seed of the gospel planted in your heart. The second question we want to look at, that's, that's the what. The why is, why does he share this with us? Well, I think it's important because it gives us encouragement, Right? If we say, man, I thought Jesus was going to come riding in on a golden horse with a scepter and just take over the whole thing, and yet it seems like all these people are rebelling against him. I guess the kingdom's not the real deal, right? It means that we're not listening to Jesus. Jesus says, this is what it's going to look like, right? It starts small and it grows. It, 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 grows, it grows bigger and bigger. The other interesting thing is that this is a reflection of what it's been like from the very beginning. And Matthew gives us a hint of this uh, there in verse 34 where he says, all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundations of the world. And so what that is, it's a quote out of Psalm 78. And one of the ways that we dig into scripture is when it references an Old Testament text, they weren't just like uh, Googling like, hey, what says what I want to say, right? Like the, that there's a connection to the material that exists in that psalm. And so if you flip over in your Bible to Psalm 78, 
It's a really long psalm. We're not going to read the entire thing this morning, but I want to do a flyover so we can understand what Matthew's pointing to us here and, and what he's helping us to understand. And Psalm 78 begins like this. It says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Okay, that's what, verse 2, that's what he quoted, right? Okay, why did he quote this? Verse 3, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. So that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. A generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. And so what he's pointing us to is he's saying, hey, remember the whole story of how, how this unfolded? It was just like a mustard seed. That there was just a, an old guy named Abraham, right? And his old wife. And they were too old to have kids. And God said, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. And he's like... Okay, but how? I don't, I, don't, I don't think that works at this point, right? But God faithfully brought him a son, Isaac. And Isaac had Jacob. And Jacob had all of these sons. A bunch of them were bad apples, right? And they sold their brother Joseph off into slavery in Egypt. But what they intended for bad, God intended for good. And he rose Joseph up in power to the point where he could save his family and bring them to Egypt. And ultimately, they multiplied and multiplied until uh, we saw this exponential growth that Jesus is talking about, right? It started with the faith of Abraham and a few generations later, there was millions of Israelites teeming in Egypt, right? That, that God did this amazing thing. And beyond growing them as a people, he brought them out of Egypt. He did miracles. He fed them in the, in the desert. He provided for their needs. And what did they do? They rebelled. And they turned their back on him. And so the glorious exponential growth of the kingdom that, that was meant to continue uh, for a time was stymied by people's rebellion and hardened hearts. But God knew this. This didn't take him by surprise. And so for verse 9 through 36, it, it works through all those things. 9 through 36, he talks about all these things. And then in verse 37, he says this. Their heart was not steadfast towards him. They were not faithful to his covenant. Yet he, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up all of his wrath. And so in that, we have a hint as to why, why is this kingdom like a mustard seed? Why didn't Jesus just appear as a mighty king? Well, part of it was because of his compassion. If he had appeared as the mighty ruling judge and king in that moment, no one would have been found worthy, right? The gospel needed time to expand in people's hearts that, that God is, he doesn't come and appear as the judge not because he's not able to or unwilling to, but it's out of love and compassion. He wants to allow us time to repent and to get right with him and to share the gospel with others so that they can repent and be right with him. Verse 39 through 66, I wish I would tell you that they turned things around, and that's when it started getting really good. <laughs> but it's just another, uh, it continues to recount through the season of the judges and, and the history of Israel of how they rebelled. And even though God showed himself faithful, they were unfaithful until in verse 67 he says this, He rejected the tent of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loves. He built his sanctuary like the high heavens, like the earth which he has founded forever. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. 
With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. So what we see here is, is, is layer after layer of the kingdom coming in like a mustard seed, right? And so the kingdom, uh, he didn't come through Joseph, the, the mighty brother or his son Ephraim. He came through Judah, a lowly tribe. He came to this small little shepherd boy, David, and he rose him up to be the king of Israel. So once again, he started with this small mustard seed and he grew it into uh, the most thriving time that Israel ever experienced. And we see in this a picture, a hint of Jesus, the great shepherd, right? The better shepherd. He was better shepherd than David. But Jesus was humble, right? He was, he was born in a small town, Bethlehem. His family was from an even smaller town, Nazareth. Uh, he, he walked the earth and he, and he gathered people. But when he died, he was alone. Everyone had abandoned him. And like a seed, his body went into the ground. And yet when he resurrected, it brought life. And it grew and it grew and it grew. And so for those 12 disciples or for the 100 or so that were in the upper room, they would never think that it could grow to what it is today. Today there's 2.2 billion professing Christians in a multitude of languages all around the earth that Jesus did exactly what he said he was going to do. The question for us is, are we going to be a piece of this? Are we going to be a part of this? <laughs> the story is continuing. It's happening now. But we each get to play a part of it by allowing that seed to take root in our heart and to see the world changed by the gospel expanding in our own lives. And in so doing, we become a part of the continuing story. And the only way to do that is to stop trying to save ourselves, to receive the free gift of salvation that Jesus has given to us by faith, allow him to till up the soil of our heart, to plant the gospel, and allow the growth to be for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, this powerful truth that, that the gospel is like a mustard seed. It's like leaven. Sometimes it's hidden. Sometimes we can't tell when it's working, but we know inevitably that it will grow and it will expand to the day when you're ready to return and call us home. God, I would so desire everyone in this room to know uh, the peace and the hope that comes from a relationship with you. Speak to their hearts, Lord. If we're trying to save ourselves through our own works, if we think that we're unworthy and that God would never want us, help us to see a reflection in, in this image of, of the young shepherd boy, David. He was rejected by most, and yet you chose him. And there's no one here in this room today that could not be used in an amazing way by you, God, because it's not about us. It's about you. It's about the finished work of Jesus on the cross. I thank you for that hope and that truth. And I pray uh, that we would receive it into our hearts today. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.